back to Love Lindsay, a captivating podcast that delves into the realms of things we've written in the past and embraces the sometimes cringy nostalgia that accompanies it. How is everyone doing? How's everyone's November going? I have to say that I'm in the thick of the semester. I'm definitely feeling it. If you've been following along on my school journey, then you would know that I took um, a very hard for me math course last semester or last year. It was two semesters ago. It was last fall. Um, and it's it was worth six credits. A normal college class is three credits. Um, so this, the courses I'm taking this semester are not quite as um, extent, but I'm taking a statistics class and I've got to say it's getting harder and harder. I started out at the beginning, um, unrealistically easy and I was just kind of getting the hang of everything and able to learn things at first go. And now I sadly have reached the crying point (laughs) of this class. Um, there are tutors online through my school that you can go like log on to at night and help, thankfully, because since I live two and a half hours away from campus, I can't go like in person and get help. And so I'm online with these people, mostly women, every night, it seems like. And then last night I just like had it. I just I started crying. It was so embarrassing. I think the tutor like didn't really know like how to react to that. Um, I just, I have a test coming up this week and I'm really nervous about it. I'm not sure how I'm going to do. Of course, the first test I took for this class, I wasn't sure how I was going to do. And I'm not one of those people where I take an exam or a test and I'm like, I feel like I did good or I did bad. I'm always like, huh, I could have gotten an A. I could have gotten a C. I could have failed it. I don't know. Like, I have no idea. Um, so I'm just trying to stay positive, um, and really just dig down deep and understand that I've come this far. So obviously I have what it takes to keep going. Um, it's just very hard. I'm starting to get nighttime panic attacks again. So every night at 3, around 3 a.m., whether it's 2.45 or 3.06 or 3.15 or 3 exactly, I wake up, my heart starts racing. I feel like I'm in like another world and I can't get out of it. It's so horrible. It sucks. So I'm just, to be honest, for honesty's sake, you guys, I'm just going through it. So I contemplated, I have to admit, I contemplated not even recording an episode this week. Here it is Monday and I need to post this for this Wednesday in two days. Um, And I thought about not even recording it, but then I looked again at my numbers, my statistics of my listeners and how they keep growing every week and all the feedback I get from you guys. And I'm like, I've got to do it. It's just part of my self-care at this point, as I'm sure It's become part of yours to tune in. So I thought it'd be fitting to 
read some blog posts that I've written in the past about anxiety and read about tough times I've gone through before to remember how far I've come because I've come a really long way and so have you guys. So let's just give ourselves a pat on the back, relax, settle in and just sit here with me and listen in the way where you feel like you have a friendship with someone that is struggling as well and you know you're not alone and you're just comfortable and you're just listening to one of your besties give like a story time so the other they're not the other <laughs> the first blog post that i would like to read is called agoraphobia and this was one of my highest read blog posts of all time I think maybe because people are just questioning what agoraphobia is. Um, I wrote this blog post in 2017. It was published October 16th, 2017. So what's agoraphobia? The official definition is obsessive, persistent, intense fear of open places. And according to PubMed, I'll read here what they elaborate on this definition. Um, it's people who have full-blown repeated panic attacks and how they can become very disabled by their condition and should seek treatment before they start to avoid places or situations where panic attacks have occurred. For example, if a panic attack happened in an elevator, someone with a panic disorder may develop a fear of elevators that could affect the choice of a job or an apartment and restrict where that person can seek medical attention or enjoy entertainment. Some people's lives become so restricted that they avoid normal activities, such as grocery shopping or driving. About one-third become housebound or are able to confront a feared situation only when accompanied by a spouse or other trusted person. When the condition progresses this far, it's called agoraphobia or fear of open spaces. Early treatment can often prevent agoraphobia, but people with panic disorder may sometimes go from doctor to doctor for years and visit the emergency room repeatedly before someone correctly diagnoses their condition. This is unfortunate because panic disorder is one of the most treatable of all the anxiety disorders, responding in most cases to certain kinds of medication or certain kinds of cognitive psychotherapy, which can help thinking patterns that lead to fear and anxiety. So obviously, you guys, I wrote this at a time in 2017 when I was indeed housebound and bedbound for that matter. Um, and so I wrote this blog post when I was in the thick of that. And it just amazes me how long panic attacks have been disrupting my life. And... It says on here that it's um, one of the most treatable of all anxiety disorders. <laughs> well, it sucks because they just keep finding a way to come back to me. So let's continue reading. Us and them. 
I battle major depressive disorder, anxiety, and panic disorder. I am one of billions in our country who experience mental illness. Out of those billions, I am one of 80% of mentally ill Americans who are unemployed. Out of that 80% of unemployed mental illness sufferers, I am one of the 19.2% who are medically deemed unfit for work by medical doctors. And out of the 19.2 of us disabled by our illness, I am one of many who have applied for SSI benefits and have been stuck in the waiting room of the system, receiving neither denial or confirmation of benefit status. I have been waiting for almost two years now. I completely blocked that out that I had under the suggestion of a social worker and two of my therapists, I had applied for um, disability. And the process is just so hard and I never was able to get under it, which is fine because I ended up being able to participate in life again. So there we go. Real talk. Now that the research paper part of this is over, remember that I don't write these blog posts because I believe that I am right and everyone else is wrong, nor to sway another individual's opinion, and I am definitely not looking to have a debate over what content I post is real life or fake. I just like to give sources of my information when I do use a source that's outside of my brain. It's usually a quick Google search and click, boom, there goes the source. It's a way to write about something that has a mixture of the thoughts flowing out of my head and voices of others. I write these blog posts to reach out to others and relate. If you are currently suffering from anxiety, panic disorders, mental illness, or unemployment and need help, I highly recommend consulting your psychiatrist, therapist, and perhaps a social worker. Get professional help if you aren't getting what you need and fight for it. Why spend your precious time living a life inhibited by a legitimate illness? Help yourself before you help others. It will make every little and big thing you do much easier. If you are like me and currently can't work, it's okay. No matter how successful you were previous to your diagnosis or relapse, learn to reevaluate and redefine what a quote-unquote successful day or week looks like to you. Having a job is a blessing, and I personally have missed not being able to be well enough to show up to a paying job or even a volunteer opportunity on a consistent basis. Based on smaller commitments in my current day-to-day, -day, I cannot guarantee I will be able to participate in activities, no matter how big or small, on any given date in the future. I do not want to let people down or cause a business to lose money because I don't have 100% control over being able to get past my symptoms and continue on. And I have to say, you guys reading this, people with mental illness do still work every day. And I've, I've recognized that I still don't have 100% control over being able to get past my symptoms and continue on. It's definitely better. Um, if it weren't better than I definitely would have been able to work since I moved back home to Michigan. But yeah, it's never 100% sure. Back to the blog post. However, while not working, I have been fighting, giving my all every single day and taking advantage of every opportunity to gain tools I need to get back to being a reliable human being, capable of showing up and following through. And you know what? I have made so much progress that I believe I am getting close to that point. 
with the support of my current mental health professionals, I will take on bigger tasks and I may fail, but it's awesome just knowing I felt stable enough to try. I think that mental illness and the restrictions that it puts on your day-to-day lives is complex and ever-changing. I also think that agoraphobia and unemployment are two topics that may have a connection. I can certainly relate. I think many of you out there can relate as well. Some of us can do more than relate to this. We live this. I live this. I live this life that is sweet but cruel in an ever-changing world from inside a mind that changes a million different times from one day to the next. I can't wait to participate more in this chaotic ride through life. And then I have a picture of my keys um, as the picture for the blog post. And I have a keychain. I still have this keychain on my keys and it says chill pills on it. And it's like a little bottle of pills. So that was definitely an interesting um blog post someone commented another well-written helpful blog and of course i love the chill pills keychain (sighs) wow so i've come really far since then but at the same time i still struggle with the same core issues this next blog post is called drowning in fear and swimming to safety And I wrote this on May 22nd, 2020. I start off saying we've all been waiting for everything to quote unquote open back up since the COVID-19 pandemic hit. We watched in horror as thousands died, lost their jobs, social lives, opportunities to get an education outside the home, basically all the good things that make life in modern day America bearable. As frontline employees dove in and saved lives and gave us food to eat, We all discussed how we couldn't wait for life to go back to normal. Is that normalcy even a thing anymore? And does it still exist? I want to talk about what happened to me and my town when it was announced that we would open back up. Spoiler alert, I wasn't as relieved or excited as I thought I would be. You guys, I was a freaking mess when I wrote this um, blog post. I was having like an out-of-body experience about the idea of going back to work. Let's continue reading. Uh, Disclaimer, I'm not trying to get political here, my friends. My opinions are on these matters flip-flop back and forth on a daily basis. I am intelligent enough to know that some of these statements are based on in fear and or anger. Because this is a personal blog, I'm going to leave it all wide or leave it all open wide for us to discuss, as we are now. Let me set the scene for you. I live in an idyllic Great Lakes tourist destination city in northern Michigan. There's beaches, national parks and forests, campgrounds, historic landmarks, and lots and lots of unique and award-winning restaurants, bars, vineyards, and breweries. Many Michiganders flock here every year for festivals or just to visit their vacation homes and cottages. Thousands descend on our city every year, all year round, but especially summertime. Before I lived here, I was a quote-unquote fudgy, which is what the tourists are called here, because they come up here to buy fudge. I was a fudgy myself and went to Traverse City's yearly cherry festival. 
A major part of the city's infrastructure and businesses' income rely on tourism, and the tourists come every year from all over the world and happily spend their money on our local amenities. The natural beauty is what I love most and major reason why we moved here. Upon our arrival here from San Francisco last spring, I knew I needed a way to get out of the house, interact with the community, and make a couple extra bucks to supplement my blog and Etsy store. My husband works at the cute little funeral home downtown, and we are lucky to have access to free parking through his job. My interest was piqued when a small, locally owned shop that sells art and other goods handmade by local artists was hiring. I could work a few shifts a week, help with social media, and meet other artists and creatives like myself. Working there gave me a quaint and cozy feeling that I enjoyed throughout the slow season and into the month of March. I was ready to witness and partake in summertime crazy business, busy season and meet more people from all over the world. Actually, I've met quite a few people who are moving here from California, just like my husband and I, and summer hadn't even arrived yet. Oh, I forgot about that phenomenon, you guys, when I was working there. I did because all of the tourists would come into this store. And I met a lot of people that are like, oh, I, I'm moving here from California as well. And I'm like, why is everyone from California coming to Traverse City? It's still, it's definitely a phenomenon that I'm not quite sure about how it's come to be. Anyway, back to the blog. But then COVID-19 happened and you know the rest. We were closed to everyone and then closed some more. And then finally curbside started up. And our city's businesses adapted as best they could. I was thriving in my quarantine life, but I knew I would enjoy coming back to work eventually. I planned to be involved in the slow and safe integration that would start on the 28th of May. My world was rocked when on Monday, May 18th, the governor announced that all of the Upper Peninsula and one region of the Lower Peninsula were allowed to do a soft reopening for Memorial Day weekend. That one and only lone city on this side of the Mackinac that was allowed to open for business? Traverse City, my city. I felt horrified as I realized everyone now had less than four days to reopen and come back to work for one of the busiest weekends of the year. Yeah, this was like terrifying, you guys. I was like, even though it was like still only 10 days apart from the real reopening, I just felt blindsided. The Upper Peninsula of Michigan is beautiful and well worth the travel. But if I know anything about Michiganders, and I know a little, the Traverse City area was going to be top pick for travelers over the UP. The city went through a somersault of emotions as we all prepared to welcome the masses. Restaurants were getting phone calls to make reservations for 20 or more people and were asked to accommodate for late arrivals due, due to those flying in. Hotels booked up immediately. And I thought maybe most people would still be content with hanging out in their own towns and us locals could enjoy the restaurants and stores that were participating and open at 50% capacity. You guys remember that when places were open, but like we're only allowed to be 50% full? <laughs> so random and weird. I haven't thought about that in forever. But the polls on social media and the news didn't paint a calm and safe picture. They were coming in droves. Many out-of-towners are already here, but more will arrive. 
while it's awesome we can welcome everyone back after an awful event like the COVID-19 pandemic, the truth is the pandemic is not over. Yeah. I mean, it definitely wasn't. It was only two months into it. My boss excitedly called me to get going on a schedule for opening and I happily obliged. I felt like this would be an adventure and a part of history I got to be part of, but then fear stepped in. And what goes hand in hand with fear? Anger. I was angry that my previous life was no longer possible. I was angry and scared about how I would work with new protocols, such as social distancing, mask wearing, and constant sanitation of every single thing touched, while simultaneously putting on a happy and welcoming attitude and helping people pick out fun and frivolous purchases. I was angry and still angry that we we had only a few days to prepare. Either way, I opened my toolbox and began to try to work through these feelings so I could show up Friday as a functioning employee, employee, ugh, functioning employee and representative of the brand I work for and the city itself. You ever hear the phrase, you are one workout away from being happy? Ew. That's horrible. <laughs> I hate it when people say that. Like, I get it. It does make you feel better. But like, I've always been very open and honest with people. Of course, like working out and exercising should be like one of your main priorities in life. But it's never been a cure for my like uh, mental illness ever. I see so many people on social media talking about I used to be depressed and fat and da 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 then I started working out and like everything got better and it's like wow that must be really nice for you to be able to just go to the gym and your mental illness like just melts away because I have never been able to get those same benefits from working out and I work out and exercise more than most people I know Every day I go on at least one two mile walk, if not two walks. And every day I do a 45 minute workout, either at the gym or at home. I do dance classes. I do yoga classes. I do, I swim laps. Um, I do cardio classes. I work out at the gym. I walk. I just, I do all of these things and I'm still very much mentally ill. Let's just be real. Let's be real. Okay. Anyway, let's get back to the blog post. <laughs> you ever hear the phrase, you are one workout away from being happy? Oh yeah. I go on the same tangent here, I guess. That's never been true for me. I have been known to cry and grunt and scream through my workouts so I can get it done. Which you guys, I just went on a walk where I literally got out my frustration on this walk so much that I cut down my walk time by 10 minutes. I did my two and a half mile walk in 30 minutes instead of 45. Like I was just flying. Anyway, back to reading the blog. Yes, I feel good about losing weight and toning up, but working out every day has never solved my mental health problems, but I keep trying. The month of April was blissful for me, but May brought flowers of anxiety blooming in my chest. 
I have always had to deal with anxiety and panic, but never in my life have I felt the abrasive sandpaper like anxiety that has been rubbing me inside and out the last couple of weeks. I feel rubbed raw. I feel the same panic and dread after long walks, hours of cardio and strength training, yoga, and even meditation. I could not get it to budge. I tried to ask my boss to reassure me and not even she could help. Anyway, people don't ask your boss to reassure you. Like you're going to get let down. <laughs> Let's just say that. And bless her. She tried. I'm so lucky to have an employer that gives a damn. Anyway, it all came to a miserable point point on Wednesday night. I had a nervous breakdown. It was terrifying. I said things that I haven't felt in years. I was telling my husband I felt like a loser and a drain on our finances because I couldn't work a simple effing part-time job like an adult. I told him I felt he deserved a wife who could manage it all. These are deep and dark thoughts and feelings that are reminiscent of my first year of marriage when I struggled with my severe depression that kept me, kept me from working and contributing to household bills. This was also before I got my blog going, which gave me more confidence. He looked astonished and shocked that I was saying these awful things about myself. And honestly, I was pretty shocked and scared myself. I started to hyperventilate and I was shaking, wringing my hands so hard that they were becoming raw. My heart felt like a hot balloon bursting in my chest. My extremities became numb and I was dizzy and my vision was blacking out around the edges. I was scream crying. I can't work. I can't work. Oh my God, I can't work. I thought I was dying. I really felt like I was going to die. I had to take a Xanax, which knocked me out and I was able to finally escape my awful reality by sleeping. Sleep is my only relief. Wow. It was a good relief then, you guys, because this was a short six months before I started experiencing nocturnal panic attacks. What bliss. I had two therapy appointments this week and even had an emergency appointment with my psychiatrist to up my antidepressant dosage. And that won't start taking effect for another couple weeks, though. I wrote my journal. I made and sent some birthday cards. I went for walks. I avoided the news. I ate healthy. I drank tons of water. I did self-care masks and skincare. I did breathing exercises. I talked to my family. My panic, terror, fear, and dread would not budge. I had to call it off. I could not be part of this grand reopening week, which looking back, no. Like I had every right to be like, you know, I'm not going to be a part of this like random last minute like fiasco. I needed time to like ease into this shit. Anyway, my anxiety won and I'm furious about it. How with all the hard work I do to stay on top of it was anxiety still making decisions for me. I'm so stressed and exhausted that I scared away my menstrual cycle and let's not bring up fertility on top of this. I guess that was my way of saying my anxiety had me so stressed that like my period was late, which happens. And also during this time is uh, when we decided to stop doing the fertility quest stuff because um, they weren't doing appointments like that. On top of all the shit, Sunday was a tart and rotten cherry. 
our night, I spelled Sunday like the ice cream Sunday. On Sunday, our neighbor called the city and said the trees between her house and ours were rubbing against the power lines and arcing. They weren't. She told us she was going to call the city and lie to them and tell them so that they come trim the branches. I forgot about this. Whatever I thought works, whatever works for her. That's weird to lie about though. Well, without warning, the city power company came and cut down all of the trees, bushes, and plants that sit between our houses. They cut them all down to the stump and left the stumps. There was nothing I could do. I stood there crying while the workers must have thought I was out of my mind, and I am out of my mind, but this was over the top and un unnecessary. Now there's no more privacy next to our bedroom windows. Oh yeah, they cut all of those trees down. And it was the spot that Peanut liked to sit and look at the birds. Yeah, that's what I say next. But that's not what hurt the most. The small area was a refuge for birds and woodland creatures and where Peanut once looked out onto and talked to critters, where Bean, our new kitty, now likes to look out onto. And it's all gone. They took it all. This spot was to be a memorial site for Peanut with a small bench, wind chime, and solar lights. Now it's a bunch of stumps and dirt. I know this is super trivial in the scheme of things, but damn it. Damn it. When our comfort is taken from us over and over and over again, it can cause fear and anxiety to flare. Ah, that's what I'm experiencing right now, you guys. Every week, I have to get out of my comfort zone and drive down to school two and a half hours, sit in statistics for three hours, Ugh. Unfortunately, there's no happy ending to this scenario. Not yet. I like to tie things up with a bow for my readers so that they can see with some hard work they can get through life successfully with mental illness. Here it is, this shitty situation, wide open and unresolved. But that's real life. I still thank God for all the good things. There are so many wonderful and amazing things I have and my life is wonderful. But even with a wonderful and comfy life, anxiety and panic disorder don't stop becoming any less of a cheese grater on my being. I sincerely hope to follow this blog post with an update about how everything this weekend turned out fine. No one brought COVID to our town and I was able to work a simple job that brings me joy and get on with my life. I so badly want to rock a positive attitude and stop reacting in fear. But the important thing is that I'm trying my best. I'm exercising every day, continuing to lose weight, meditating daily, taking care of my home and pets, and writing this blog to you all. I am also still religiously working with therapists weekly and always, always, always taking my pills. Were these coping skills and tools enough to keep me back into the real world this weekend? No, not yet. But I'm positive it will, and I need patience with myself. Thank you so much, every one of you, for reading through all of this. And those of you who always message me after each blog to tell me they're going through it as well and reaching out in solidarity, you freaking rock. Keep going. Let's do this. And there's a picture at the bottom of Yoda, and it says, Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. 
That was a good one. I'm definitely going through a lot of these symptoms right now, just like vibrating with anxiety. This next blog post is called Quarantine Wintertime Edition. And I wrote this on November 12th, 2020. Whew. Times are really tough right now, guys. My anxiety is, how can I put this in words? Is in the stratosphere. It's higher than Shaggy and Scooby-Doo. It's super out of control. I have just a little bit or a lot of bit of outside triggers going on. Some family health issues. Unfortunately, it is indeed related to COVID. I won't say more than that. I put my own shit out there for the world to read, but that doesn't mean I'll share my loved ones. I'm not going to talk about who got it or when. It doesn't matter. It's here now. It's infiltrated my small family and my small community, and it's personal. I always say this. I know I'm not the only one going through this, but thus far up here in northern in our northern idyllic town, it hasn't really touched us yet, but now it's really getting pretty bad everywhere. And now it's struck my family. I'm having a hell of a time dealing with COVID stress. Almost as much, or if not more, anxiety about it than April or May. I'm trying to unpack this. Ooh, this is a juicy update from that previous post I just read. How can I talk about something affecting me so deeply that's already hit millions of people on this planet? I feel like... I've had time to deal with the anxiety of it, so I should be better, but it suddenly got much harder. And I apologize about the writing of this blog today because I'm having a hard time forming my thoughts coherently. I recently talked about how I had planned with my family what I thought were safe, safe enough plans for the holidays, and it's not happening now. I am beyond devastated. We all are. And everywhere right now, I'm sure many families are going through the same thing. On the subject of family, it seems black and white. Like either you are risking it or you're not. There's no surefire way to not risk giving it or catching it from your family. And that is not to see your family. Done and done. However, things become blurred when we look at the workplace and how we make decisions about that. Now our jobs are at stake and our ability to pay bills and get health insurance. We can decide what's safe enough for our loved ones, but it's up to our employer whether or not we have a job or not. Our employer decides if an exposed person can come back untested. They can decide how strict to be about masks. It's not our doctor telling us how safe we'll be. It's the people writing our paychecks. How fucked is that? The rules and guidelines and protocols all seem to get blurred during multiple parts of this process. When it comes down to it, you end up making choices about your health based on what your employer needs or what your coworker does after hours or what family lives with you or lives across town or far away. Just completely random circumstances that no one has control over. Some places of business require negative tests to return to work after exposure, and some don't. Just little differences like this can start making the odds of catching COVID and the rules we live by seem so random. I can't see my family because I want to be cautious and I couldn't handle the guilt if they got sick. However, if those I work with choose to see their families and travel and not wear masks, everything I'm doing to be safe is null and void. We need to keep making money to afford our lives, but we are willing to die for our jobs. Think about that. 
You could also say you have to be willing to die to drive a car. So I know this is subjective. It's just frustrating to me that our jobs are more important to us than anything else. It's unfortunate. It seems like us Americans just love to risk our health for $11 an hour. It's the best. Please hear my sarcasm. And how do we justify wearing masks around some people but not others? Why is that we do things we know probably aren't safe, but we have to do them anyway in the name of paychecks and health insurance? I know this is happening everywhere right now, and it's so incredibly sad to me. I feel bad for all the people who don't have the confidence to speak up for themselves and let others decide how many risks they are willing to take. The fact is, most of us can't afford to have an opinion about the risks we take. There's a threshold of sanity that one slips past when you finally find out that you're that you've officially been exposed to COVID. There's the abstract idea or inkling that yes, okay, when I visit Mackinac Island this summer, I most definitely touched the same surfaces of people who have COVID and probably walked in the streets with people with COVID. But again, that's abstract. But when you get an official call from the health department saying you've been quote unquote, officially exposed, you are now, you now bear the burden of sharing with others your exposure and how, pray tell, do they prefer you to go forward? Would you like a negative test before breathing near me? Would you like to wait two weeks before I walk through your door? Do you not care if someone who potentially has it is touching your money or credit card? Just so many random things we have to think about or not, or try not to think about going forward. I know I'm not making all that much sense, but please bear with me as I process these thoughts again that millions have already processed, but I somehow feel like I'm doing it for the first time. How many times are we going to get calls from the health department saying that we've been exposed before we just stay inside forever? It's just, I guess like it said, I said, it's the quote unquote official exposure that it's causing me to reconnect my close relationship with the coronavirus and the massive amount of anxiety it drags with it like chains. I feel like I'm dealing with it for the first time all over again. Like it's May and I'm preparing to be in the masses yet again. One thing is still true though. I will not subject my family members to this uncertainty. There are so many unknowns. If we still need to go to work to keep the economy open and keep our jobs, so be it. But I am not going to breathe near my family members indoors unless I know for sure how and why we get it and who dies and who lives. We still don't know, people. I really felt like I was like making my own locus of control here. I had such a hard time drawing this conclusion the last week or so. I felt like maybe I was really going to be living in my lily white privileged fantasy world where I could see my family for Thanksgiving and we could all sit together inside and spend the night at each other's houses and exchange gifts and share meals. Imagine, imagine a world like that. I'm being kind of sarcastic. And again, please know I'm acknowledging how much white privilege I have and how good I have it. And it could be so much worse. I think it's still important that we acknowledge what a letdown it is not to see each other. I'm witnessing a grown adult, myself, crying big fat baby tears because we can't see each other for Thanksgiving. I've been crying a lot too. A lot. It's hard. It's okay to be sad about that. 
Please, people, I implore you, wear a mask. There are so many unknowns. This year sucks so much. And it's so stupid and frustrating and I'm furious. I'm so angry. Use the anger to fuel your determination in getting through this hard winter hold up in our homes alone. Since these are extreme times, I'm going to do extreme coping mechanisms like I did this past spring during quarantine. Frankly, a good quarantine is honestly what we need to stop getting each other sick. I'm going to do quarantine wintertime edition. I'm going to decorate the hell out of my house and make my home into a North Pole winterland. I'm going to make so many cards. I'm going to do so much baking and crafts and projects and cleaning and lots and lots of therapy. Thank God I have Eddie and Bean. I can do anything with them and I'm going to keep working and I'm going to keep going to work like a good little American and support local businesses. And when I'm told to stop going to work, I'll stop like we did earlier this year. I'm going to keep wearing a mask, even though it's not stopping us from catching COVID and it's ruining my skin. What's your plan to keep yourself safe the next several weeks? Oof, I'm just, I'm just glad that we're not in that territory anymore, people. Let's go back and get away from 2020 here briefly and read another blog post that was written November 13th, 2017 called Mental Health and the Holidays, Feeling Festive and Staying Focused. That's so weird. I wrote this November 13th, 2017 and today is November 13th. Wow. Here's our word of the day. Day passe. It's a real French word instead of my normal French, aka naughty words. <laughs> the word day passe means to be outside of one's habitat. Even if we are all going home for Christmas and all the other holidays this season, we still might feel like a fish out of water. Perhaps you are like me and feel like you are the black sheep of the family. Or you're meeting a significant other's family for the first time or seeing people you don't normally see. It's stressful either way. And that's okay. It's normal to be stressed. Let's not forget to make it a good stress. Yes, there are good stresses. And preparing for the holidays is a good example. Fun, but busy as fuck. Let the fact that it's going to be stressful settle in. And reassure and promise yourself that it will be a good stress. It will stop there. Go no further. As soon as the dial turns over good into bad stress, that's the point when those of us predisposed to anxiety, panic, and depression tend to get swallowed up in the hectic storm of the season. I'm telling you this because it's exactly what I'm telling myself. Again, I want to reinforce the amazing benefits of mindfulness thinking. It helps you to stay in the moment. We want mental snapshots of happy times with our loved ones, not acting out the motions while going over 20 different to-do lists in our mind. I know it's super hard. I know. I have three main goals for the next several weeks while I prepare for the holidays, trips, and family time. Goal number one. Work out every day. Move my body. Nothing hardcore. I'm not a gym rat, obviously, and I know the importance of taking recovery days. Believe me, when I'm sore, I just take a small walk or roll around on my foam roller. 
Uh, I made it easy. Oh, and then I posted about how good a foam roller is and I gave links. And then I'm on a new medication for PCOS. The medication is helping my insulin to do its job better. And I am finally seeing results from the hard work for the first time in years. I still have a long way to go, but hey, I found a great group of professionals that are listening to me and are helping me. And that's all that matters. Goal number two, go to all of my appointments. Why is that such a struggle for me? Oh yeah. Anxiety, self-sabotage, panic attacks, etc. I'm sick of the excuses. Even trips to the city to see my dermatologist like I did today make me feel better because it's a form of self-care, even if, if it is cosmetic. No, I didn't get any crazy expensive plastic surgery done, at least not yet. By the way, I highly recommend Daniel Berman Skin Institute. I go to the location in the city. Oh yeah, that was my dermatologist in San Francisco. Anyway, goal number three, practice mindfulness every single day. No skipping, which I have been admittedly doing a lot lately. But I know it's super important when busy and stressful times are coming up. You already know how much I love and recommend the app for Android or iPhone called Calm. I still recommend that app, you guys. If you click on the main page of your computer, there is usually some meditation on the day right there on the page. And the app is free. If you're thinking right now, the last thing you want to do is add a new daily practice to your life. I agree. It's hard to find the time when I already am familiar with mindfulness meditation. But let, let me tell you a secret. It doesn't have to be longer than a couple minutes and it can be as easy as breathing slowly in and out. Seriously. Isn't it odd that we are so busy and so anxious that we forget to do the most natural and healthy thing we can do? Breathe in and out thoroughly? I'll give you an autumn-themed idea you can try. Honestly, this is how I started practicing on my very own when I was 20 years old. I would find a certain chair or place in my home that allowed me to sit up tall and be undisturbed. And for... Let me just take a time out and say for you guys listening right now, do this mindful exercise with me as I read this. You can set aside a timer on your phone for two to five minutes or allow yourself unlimited time if you are so lucky. To clear your mind, try picturing a blank piece of paper. Just plain, blank, and white. Nothingness. Thoughts will consistently interrupt you, and we'll get to that in a second. Every time a thought comes up, like, I need to add this to the shopping list, or how hungry you are, or a conversation you had earlier that day, drop it immediately and come back to your blank page. You can take as long or as short on this part as you want, or just jump right to the next part. In your mind, imagine walking to a stream or calm river surrounded by trees. Decide what your surroundings look like. How fast is the current? Is there a breeze? Perhaps it's fall and the colorful leaves are falling from the trees. Perfect. Every time you have a new thought or feeling interrupt your blank state of mind while chilling out at your spot by the river, simply take that thought or feeling, place it on a leaf, and watch the leaf slowly flow down the stream until it's out of sight. Then do the same thing with the next one. 
the next one, and so on. Picture your grocery or to-do list and the anxiety you have on a fallen leaf and watch the leaf float down the river. Put the conversation with your coworker you had on the leaf and watch the leaf float away. Recognize your grumbling stomach as simply hunger and place that simple label of hunger on another leaf. Do it one thought at a time. Please be patient with yourself. It may be hard and at the end of two minutes, perhaps your alarm will go off and you'll feel silly for even trying. However, session by session, these practices add up and you may surprise yourself at what sort of odd feelings or memories or sensations are reoccurring. Pay attention to those. The fact that they are reoccurring means something. If you tried this out, congrats. See if you can do it again before the week is over or perhaps try the Calm app. If you are interested in try and tried my mindfulness suggestion or are looking into the Calm app, leave a comment below and tell me how it's going. I would love to give away a one-year membership to Calm to someone out there that is interested that will benefit like I have. It is the season of giving after all. And then someone wrote a comment. Excellent. This is one of your best blogs yet. I think I feel that way because the information you share in this edition is applicable to nearly everyone. You offer lots of helpful tips for keeping mentally healthy during flurries of activities. <laughs> so I think that's a good amount of posts to read today that circle around my struggles with anxiety and panic. And I just want to let you all know that I appreciate you being here for me as you have appreciated me being there for you. And I just love this community so much that I've made around this podcast. And I just cannot get enough of hearing from you guys and what you've liked and what you want to hear more of. So let me know. Hit me up on social media. We're going to get through this tough week, you guys. We are. We're going to get through it. I will see you next Wednesday on another episode of Love Lindsay.